This is episode 139 of Beyond the Bulletin, published on September 23rd, 2022. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of the Daily Bulletin. And from Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. Coming up, University President Vivek Goel provides an update on Waterloo at 100, including the new discussion paper. New episodes of the podcast come out every week, and you can find our archive of past shows and helpful links on the Daily Bulletin website. Please recommend us to your colleagues and connections at Waterloo. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Well, welcome to the fall season, and what a busy season it is. Pamela, do you remember? Do I remember what? The 21st night of September. Earth, wind, and fire? Do you remember? Now I've got that song stuck in my head, and so does everybody else. As I recall, love was changing the minds of pretenders while chasing the clouds away. And the reason that we mention this is, of course, that we're recording this on Wednesday, September 21st, the aforementioned 21st night of September. Well, with that, happy autumn, everyone. Yes, and we're falling all over ourselves to keep you informed about what's been happening at the university. Boy, a lot has been happening. Tell us all about it. That's right. Well, it seems like everything is happening everywhere on campus this week. What with the Indigenous Commitment Ceremony on September 22nd and the Doug Wright Celebration of Life and Welcome Back Lunch on all of our campuses on September 23rd. Remember, the Celebration of Life will be live-streamed on YouTube beginning at 11 a.m. on Friday, September 23rd. Then at noon, we can celebrate the fall term together with a special welcome back lunch to be held on all four campuses. We'll put the links in our show notes. Indeed, and it's also National Postdoc Appreciation Week. So if you have a postdoc in your area, appreciate them. You can check out postdoctoral profiles on the Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs website or raise a glass to postdocs at the Graduate House on campus. And while we're in the spirit of appreciation, HR has also informed us that it's National Payroll Week this week. So before we forget, thank you to all of our payroll employees and administrators across the university. Our bank accounts salute you and your hard work. I do love payroll. We're getting paid a day early this month because National Truth and Reconciliation Day happens to fall on what would have been our payday on September 30th. So that's all the more reason to appreciate our payroll people who do the hard work of putting our paychecks in the right place. No applause necessary, just throw 10s and 20s. (laughs) And Saturday, September 24th, is the date of the Waterloo Indigenous Student Center's 19th Annual Pow Wow, held in Waterloo Park at the Banshell Green. Vendors open up at 10 a.m. with the formal grand entry happening at 12 noon. The event runs until 5 p.m. Saturday evening. The Pow Wow is an important opportunity to show solidarity with the local Indigenous community and celebrate Indigenous culture. Bring a lawn chair and sit and watch the dancers, listen to speakers, participate in an intertribal dance, visit the craft, information, and food vendors, and meet with other powwow visitors. I love the regalia. It's really, really interesting and wonderful to see. I love the regalia, like a convocation, different kind of regalia, but... If there's regalia, Pamela's all over If there's regalia, I am there. I love it. Now, here's what's coming up. Okay, so I can't believe that we're talking about this already, but fall's convocation ceremonies are fast approaching in October. 
Please be a part of the most exciting time on campus and grow your personal U-Waterloo network at the same time by joining the growing group of Convocation volunteers who will bring this celebration to life. There are four ceremonies taking place on October 21st and 22nd, and Convocation organizers need to fill more than 100 volunteer and volunteer supervisor shifts to make this important milestone a success. We're looking for volunteers who can be trained on-site this fall in support of Spring Convocation next June, where many more volunteers are required to support 14 ceremonies. This is an opportunity to be among the first to congratulate students as they prepare to cross the stage, assist with hoods and gowns, and interact with students and their guests throughout the celebration. Volunteer training is provided, and first-time volunteers can sign up for newly created Shadow Shifts, where you're invited to work alongside previous Convocation volunteers who will share their tips and tricks. Oh, great idea. Visit the Convocation website for role descriptions and available shifts. We'll put the link in our show notes. The President's Advisory Committee on Environmental Sustainability, or PACES for short, is looking to recruit an undergraduate representative to join the committee for a two-year term beginning in fall 2022. The committee represents a cross-section of Waterloo stakeholders, including students, faculty, staff, and administration, who provide advice to the President on campus sustainability programs and policies. Ooh, sounds like a great opportunity. The position is open to any undergraduate student enrolled at the university through winter 2024. The deadline to apply is Friday, September 30th. Visit the PACES webpage for more information and to submit an application. We'll put the link in our show notes. And let me take the opportunity to say that PACES is one of my favorite committee acronyms slash short forms. There's a ton of fun short, you know, short forms, acronyms, names. Waterloo at 100 consultations are taking place in September and October, and faculty, staff, and students are all invited to participate. You'll be hearing more about Waterloo at 100 in a few moments, but in short, it's a visioning exercise to develop a longer-term vision for the university that will address the question, what do we as an institution aspire to become by our 100th anniversary in 2057? Virtual meeting days for students, faculty, and staff are taking place September 27th, September 29th, and October 14th, and in-person meeting dates will be taking place September 26th, October 4th, and October 24th. We'll put registration links in our episode show notes. And now the interview. The Waterloo at 100 initiative seeks to help us envision what we want the university to be in 2057, when Waterloo turns 100. And then... We take the steps we need to get us there. Consultations with stakeholders within and outside the university are continuing, and the ideas presented so far have informed a discussion paper, which Vivek Goel, Waterloo's president and vice chancellor, will talk about at the next President's Forum on October 3rd. Here he is with more. It's great to have you back, Vivek. It's great to be back on the show. We last spoke about Waterloo at 100 back in June, the initiative that has us looking ahead to where we want to be as an institution on our 100th anniversary had just launched. Consultations with members of the campus community and external stakeholders have been taking place. How are these consultations going? Well, the consultations went really well through the uh, spring and early summer. And then over the summer, we stepped back uh, and worked on writing the discussion paper, which was just recently posted on our Waterloo 100 webpage. And, and now we're really in the midst of getting things restarted. And uh, this podcast is part of that uh, re-engagement with the community around the discussion paper as we work towards developing the vision. What are you wanting to achieve with this discussion paper? 
So the goal of the discussion paper is really to stimulate um, further thinking uh, about uh, our future uh, and particularly how we need to change the way in which we work as an institution, how we work together, um, how we identify priorities that are shared across the institution. And, and so I'm hoping that in the coming weeks and months, um, we'll get some bold ideas from the community, uh, both around the directions that we want to take, but also, just as important, how we will get there. Um, and, and we can't absolutely predict what the world is going to look like in 2057, but we know it's going to be very different. And we know we need to change some of the ways in which we do things if we're going to be ready for that very rapidly evolving world. Well, you mentioned in our first conversation about Waterloo at 100 that you were hearing people say that Waterloo was founded to be different, but has spent the past 65 years or the 65 years that followed trying to be like everybody else. Are we going to continue to be like other institutions vying to reach the top of the charts or will we blaze our own trail? Uh, how will we arrive at our answer to this massive question? Well, this is uh, still the fundamental question that we need the community um, to weigh in on. Uh, but I would certainly say, based on the initial discussions, I, I think there's uh, a pretty broad view uh, that I think is shared across most of the institution that we do need to continue to carve our own path. Uh, we have become globally recognized for the things that make us distinct, such as cooperative education, uh, our commitment to entrepreneurship experiences uh, for our students, as well as uh, amongst our faculty and staff. Uh, so we, we clearly are on a different path. I think the big question, uh, is, as you've noted, is are we trying to reach the top of the charts? And um, by that, I think you're referring maybe to different types of rankings. And uh, what that means if we try to continue to reach for the top of the charts as they're usually defined will mean that we want to probably go on a path that's not as different as the institutions that are at the top of the rankings because the rankings are designed to measure those characteristics and you know there's uh, it, it's not to say that the rankings are not important um, you know students families governments pay attention to the rankings, but uh, the difference between being, you know, 10th or 50th or 150th, we have to look at the broad categories as opposed to the absolute numbers. And, and within a particular broad sort of general range, are we the best at what we're trying to do? And, and so amongst the top 250 universities, are we the best at co-op? How well are we doing in entrepreneurship? So I think we need to really decide what it is that we want to be good at and then look for the right set of metrics around those. The other thing I'll note is there's a big difference between thinking about rankings at the institutional level and rankings at the department or program level. So we can have individual programs that are continuing to strive to be the very best in rankings that are appropriate for the measurement of what's excellent in their particular field. But when we look at 
institutional rankings, they're the average of all of those individual things. And uh, we're almost at the mercy of what the different ranking agencies decide to weight across different areas. And, and so that's where, when I talk about being careful not to chase the rankings, I'm really saying we have to be careful about what those rankings are actually measuring or trying to measure. So there are rankings and then there are rankings. Like subject area rankings is maybe something that we think is, is more important? Well, it's going to vary, I think, actually, depending on the subject area and um, the program, because it's also, you know, measurement is easier in some areas than others. And, you know, another thing we we'll can come back to is counting, particularly the outputs of research, drives you to measurement of a certain sort of thing how much research results you're producing. For example, if you're counting publications and citations, they're counts of how many papers have been produced and how many people are citing those papers, usually other academics. Maybe we want to count impact, right? And so when we talk about program-specific or field-specific or subject-specific rankings, we also have to look at what those are looking at and, you know, if they're counting research and we want to know how good we're doing in a particular field, it makes absolute sense. And that's going to be important for attracting graduate students, for attracting faculty. But if we want to answer the question, how much of a difference are we making in the world, maybe some of those same rankings may not be answering that question. There are important uses for the rankings. We have to understand what the rankings are measuring. We have to understand the motivations of the organizations doing the rankings. They're largely media companies or consulting companies. Media companies trying to sell subscriptions, consulting companies trying to sell services. And, and so we, if we, we have to just, like any tool out there, we have to use it with the understanding. So there is meaning in there. Um, what's far more important is the actual metrics that go in and understanding what's important within those that we want to measure our success on. Well, we've talked about our differentiators before. We have to keep our differentiators in mind when we consider the futures framework, which is central to Waterloo at 100. Um, that includes societal, sustainable, health, technological, and economic futures. But we should also discuss what we're calling the forecasts to 2057 and how these can guide how the institution evolves into the future. What can you tell us about these forecasts to 2057? So the forecasts which are included in the discussion paper are really just meant to provoke ideation, people thinking about how we evolve as an institution and really are the intersection between our differentiators and the futures that we see as major thematic areas that we can focus on as an institution and that we are focused on as an institution. And it's, this is all about the intersections, the intersections between the futures, the intersections between the differentiators. So for example, co-op education helps drive entrepreneurship. It helps drive the impactful research that we do, right? So they're intersecting we look at the intersection of health, technology, and society, it's three of those futures intersecting, and 
really all five futures are relevant to the future of uh, where we're going with health. And then we can think about the intersection between cooperative education and these different futures. So within the forecast, we've laid out three areas, our graduates 2057, knowledge in 2057, and our campus in 2057. We can also see that these three areas actually map to the three theme areas, the talent theme, the research for global impact, and the communities theme in the th existing strategic plan. So we're also hoping that this becomes uh, a way of uh, starting to map the transition. But within each of the forecasts, we need to think about you know, what, are, what are the unique characteristics of the graduates that we have coming from this institution as they take leadership roles throughout society by the time we get to 2057 and beyond. We are asking questions about the knowledge that we produce and as we were just talking about, for example, how do we ensure it has impact instead of just counting how much knowledge we're producing. And as we think about our campus in 2057, what are the things that we want to think about? Do we, you know, how are we going to define a sustainable and accessible and indigenized, a decolonized campus? So those are questions that we're posing as people think about these forecasts to 2057. I do see it says undergraduates, graduates who never stop learning. What does that mean? So we know that we live in a world that's changing all the time, and, and the same applies to individual professions, individual jobs and roles. And so the idea that our graduates will never stop learning really means that we, we gra they graduate with a commitment to lifelong learning, and we will continue to provide opportunities for them to continue their professional development if they're looking at a career change over the duration of their life, give them an opportunity to come back. And it's also not just our graduates, but it would be for anyone in the world, giving them the opportunity to come and continue to learn. How does the President's Anti-Racism Task Force's 88 recommendations to address racism and advance decolonization at the university factor into Waterloo at 100? So, uh, first of all, we have posed in, in, the, in the forecast uh, in terms of the campus, a campus that leads on indigeneity and inclusivity. So as part of the discussions, we need to further develop what that would mean. And I think we can look to many of the President's Anti-Racism Task Force recommendations for the proposals around what needs to be done. Part had a recommendation about revisiting our values as an institution. So through the discussions that we'll be having about Waterloo at 100, we also have an opportunity to start to surface from the community uh, what those ideas might be. And then I, I think if following the production of Waterloo at 100, we will engage in an exercise of reviewing our values in light of where we land with Waterloo at 100, but also the part recommendation about having a value uh, around inclusion and equity. Now, our current strategic plan spans the five years from 2020 to 2025. 
How will the long-range planning we're doing now affect the goals that we have in our current strat plan? The intention is to uh, bridge naturally from the strat plan to Waterloo at 100 and then continue to engage in five-year planning cycles working towards this longer-term vision. But the, I would expect the plans would be more operational and tactical in nature, and we wouldn't necessarily redo our extensive visioning around our strategy every five years. One of the things I've heard from the community is the sense that we were on a little bit of a strategic planning treadmill where we're doing one plan, getting it done, starting to work on the implementation, and then starting the next planning cycle. So rather than having the sort of the ambitions rethought every five years, by laying out a long-term direction, what we would really be developing on a five-year cycle would be much more specific actions that we need to take to keep us on the path towards that long-term direction. The last time we spoke on this, we discussed the challenge of putting ourselves in a good position for 2057 when we don't know what the world's biggest problems are going to be or what technologies are going to exist to help us address them. You raised a good point then when you said that we didn't know we'd become leaders in quantum or nano, but early investment in fundamental science laid that necessary foundation. Do you see an increased focus in answering the fundamental questions today and into our future then? Absolutely. And, you know, starting with fundamental questions about what it means to be a human uh, as the world is changing around us, as technology is changing, how we interact with each other, how we interact with ourselves. And so having people, faculty, graduate students, postdoctoral fellows that are examining the most fundamental questions, whether it is about what it means to be a human, about our cosmos, about the meaning of matter, that is absolutely necessary if we're going to be able to understand and be able to grapple with what's coming at, at us. There's a second very important aspect, and, and that is while much of fundamental scholarship and research doesn't have immediate application, as you noted, this can lead over many decades to very important applications. But the fundamental scholarship also creates an environment for training and preparing people for our master's students, for our PhD students, for our postdoctoral fellows. And that's another very important outcome of what we do as a research intensive university is people that are being prepared to think and to work at the very cutting edge of scholarship and science. And those people can go into all sorts of different roles in society and will be prepared for the changes that are coming. So if we want to be ready for 2057 and beyond, we absolutely need to continue to have uh, the people working on those fundamental questions today. Aren't there challenges with that kind of focus, though? Don't funders want applications immediately a lot of the time? There are challenges with funders and uh, with governments around these sorts of questions constantly, and so we have to constantly remind ourselves first and, and those people in those seats making the decisions about the importance of this kind of work and the importance of having 
people in our society that are being trained in these very research-intensive environments. And there's all sorts of data that we can look at to show that countries that have higher levels of investment in fundamental scholarship and science and have higher rates of graduation of PhDs working in all sectors of society also tend to be economies that are more innovative, have higher levels of productivity. And so we have to use some of that uh, type of information to inform the decision-making. And that's partly what we're framing as well in the economic futures theme of our discussion paper. How do we help Canada in addressing the productivity gaps that it has? What has struck you or even surprised you the most during this process so far? Certainly what's been very exciting and, and pleasantly surprising is to see the deep level of engagement that we're having in the community the very exciting ideas that are coming. I'm hoping that we'll continue to have really bold ideas and bold uh, proposals uh, for what we can change. But I'm also struck, and, and you know, that leads to the second part of what we're really hoping to achieve with this, is that we do have people in our community who have had bold ideas, who felt that they haven't had the opportunity to bring them forward or they haven't had a success in trying to get innovative things implemented at our institution. And so this is why we also are asking questions about how we need to change in how we work, what we need to change in our own culture as an institution to be able to achieve and implement the bold ideas that people in our community have. What's next in the process? So we will be continuing um, to have consultations through the coming weeks. We have on October 3rd a presence forum, which will be open to all members of the community. And uh, we will have other opportunities that will be being posted for the community for smaller group discussions. We have some sessions with students coming up. We will also be visiting each faculty and having opportunities for discussions at the local level uh, across the university. And there's uh, a variety of online tools where people can submit their thoughts and ideas. And then based on the discussions and feedback that we get through the fall, we will be preparing uh, the paper and getting it ready for early in 2023. It'll then go through Senate and board for endorsement and will then be launched hopefully sometime in 2023. Wow, amazing. So are you finding that people outside the university are engaged as well? Absolutely. We're getting a lot of interest, and uh, through the fall, we will also be having opportunities for engagement by alumni, by members in the local community, uh, as well as uh, we're going to be going to different levels of government and uh, having visits there to present some of the ideas and get input so there is also a lot of excitement from the external community around engaging with the process. Well, I am looking forward to the President's Forum on October 3rd. I will be there. I want to remind people to register, and we'll put a link in our show notes so that they can do that and note that people can attend in person or online. Any other parting words before we say goodbye, either about the President's Forum or about Wallyo 100 generally? Or anything else, Vivek? 
Well, so I just encourage people to take a look at the Water 100 discussion paper. There are some questions to help get people thinking and to take part in the, in the presence forum or the other opportunities that are going to be coming up, as well as interacting online if they're not able to take part in any of the in-person or team sessions that we're going to have available. Great. Well, thank you for taking the time today, Vivek, to talk to us and bring us this important update. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And please recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni. You can find us on Twitter at UW Daily Bulletin. And select interviews are on the university's YouTube channel. Just look for our Beyond the Bulletin playlist there. You can reach us by email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. As always, thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. Are you one of those people who sees fall as their favorite season? Oh, without a doubt. I do enjoy the fall. Winter is, is winter and fall kind of switch places for me for my favorite, but I do enjoy the autumn leaves, the crisp fall air, Halloween candy, Thanksgiving, I don't know, all the good stuff. Thanksgiving buffets. Winter, you are in a minority, sir. I don't mind that. If you also prefer winter, please send us an email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca, oh, which will guarantee we get no mail or continue to That's get no right. mail. That's right. Yeah, totally. 